I'm going to preach uh, and peruse through John 13 through 18. And um, we had the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, and that was kind of like Tuesday of Holy Week, talking about the end times and Jesus pouring out his heart to the disciples. And John 13 through 21 has been on my heart uh, the last couple months. So that's really just what I'm going to just kind of portray to you is what the Lord has on my heart. And, and Mike Bickle says this is the greatest teaching from the greatest teacher. John 13 through 18 or John 13 through 17, that's, he calls it, Mike Bickle says, this is the greatest teaching from the greatest teacher. So I want to, I want to just kind of bring us into that moment right here. And I want, I want you to begin to smell what that is and take your heart there and begin to feel. This is Jesus's, this is Thursday night. The the all of that discourse would have been about Tuesday night. This is Thursday night. This is what we would call Monday, Thursday. This is where Jesus comes back in. He meets with the disciples. It's, it's for the Passover feast. Maybe this is the Last Supper. Maybe it's for the Passover feast. But, but here he is with these, this group of misfits, these, these 12 guys who become his best friends, the closest people, some of the closest people in his life. And they're sitting around this table, and they're in this moment, and 13, it opens up with Jesus washing their feet. And, and I want the weightiness of this to hit us as we are in Lent, not Advent. I know last week I think I called it Advent. I get them mixed up a little in my non-Catholic upbringing. Um, but anyway, we're in Lent, and, and I want us to bring into this, this holy moment that the weightiness of Jesus' words, these are his last words on earth. And we're starting this series today, at least for me personally. I don't know if some of the other speakers will hit this. But Jesus, simply Jesus, is kind of our theme for Easter, his last words. And over the next few times I speak, we're going to touch into some of Jesus' last words on earth. Right now, leading up to that crucifixion, then partly on and during the cross and on, through the crucifixion on Easter, then in, as he returned a couple times and met with the disciples and met with certain individuals, I'm going to continue that for a little while. But right now, we're going to focus and hone in on John 13 through 18, just part of 18. But the weightiness of this, that this is Jesus' last words... It's his last evening before he goes to trial. It's his last evening before he faces his accusers and before he goes to the cross. This is Thursday night, and this is one of the darkest, it's, it's one of the most glorious days before he faces the darkest hour. And he's pouring his heart out for their hearts. Take yourself to that moment. Imagine this is your last night on earth, and you know that tomorrow you're going to be crucified, you're going to be killed. What would you be telling your family? What would you be telling those around you? What, what would you be saying? So here we are in John 13, and, and he uses this time to, to, to really surrender and to show humility and show submission. And, and, and I'm going to, through the day, focus a little bit on Peter. I like Peter. Anybody else in here just kind of admire Peter? I know he's the disciple that denied Jesus. I know that he's kind of, but Peter's all in. Anybody else can relate to that? Maybe that's why I like Peter. I'm an all-in kind of guy. Like when I'm on keto, I'm all in. When, when I'm on no sugar, I'm all in. But when I'm on sugar, I'm like sugar plus sugar on the side. Give me gluten and more gluten and full gluten and gluten beyond gluten. Give it all to me. When I'm in that workout, like, I'm all in. I go, I go to a workout, and I'm always like, I'm just going to take it easy today. I can't do it. It's not in me. And I crash and I burn. 
and, but I'm all in. Whatever I'm doing, I'm all in. If I'm getting into fly fishing, I'm all in. If, whatever I do, I'm all in, right? And at times, that emotion takes over, and at times, even in meetings, I'm, I'm saying things that I regret. I'm saying things. I'm blurting out things. Last week, there was, I couldn't figure out where to sit, so I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I'm all in, right? I'm a passionate person, and I can relate to Peter, and I think that's why Peter grabs my heart a little bit. So, so throughout this thing, I'm, I'm going to kind of focus a little on Peter because he's highlighted a few areas here in these few chapters. But I'm telling you, this is the heart of Jesus for the, our hearts. Matter of fact, the 14th chapter starts with, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus is saying, like, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here anymore. The resurrection is a celebration, but there's some things leading up to that that grab my heart. When we're singing about his blood, I go back to where I used to be and how rough and how dirty and how unclean and what a heathen I was. But then I, I realized it was the blood that paid the price for me. It's the blood that I stand here today. It's the cross. It's, it's his resurrection that invites me in. And this is the moment. This is the evening before all of that. This is the day before all of that begins to occur. So I just want to jump into a few areas here. In 14.1, let, let's kind of go in order here. I honestly don't know what order I'm going to go. I really don't. I just know I'm going to hit John 13 through 18. I'm going to pour my heart out, and we're going to offer the people the same thing that, that Peter didn't do is not to deny Jesus. And then we're going to get to the prayer in John 17 where, where Jesus is having this dialogue with the Father, and we're going to invite you into that dialogue that he's invited you in. That's, that's the game plan today. Are you in? This is the message to the church forever. It's the message to every individual through the deepest, darkest times of our lives and this deepest, darkest hour of history for humanity. It's a message for the church. It's a message for every believer, every non-believer, and it's a message for every heart out there in every hardship that you might face. This is the greatest message and the greatest teaching from the greatest teacher about the greatest thing in humanity of all time. And Jesus is promising things like his Holy Spirit to come. He's promising that he won't leave us as orphans, but he'll return to us. He's promising us and he's, and he's telling us to love him and to love the Father and to love him as, as he loves us. He's telling us to love one another and the way that we love one another, they'll know that we're his disciples. And he's offering this and he's telling it to the disciples. But then in his prayer, he's like, as much as I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody. As much as I'm inviting you into this, this is for all of humanity, for all time, for eternity, forever. You know, eternity doesn't start when we get to heaven. Eternity starts when we surrender our hearts to him. Those of you who said yes to Jesus already, we are now living in eternity with Jesus. And there is a glory promise in the 17th chapter in the 24th verse that we get to live in a glory realm experiencing the glory of Jesus. I don't want just this destination of heaven. I want to live heaven on earth. I want the world to see what we have. I want your workplaces to see that you're different. To see that there is a Messiah that has redeemed you and reconciled you and saved you and made you so different that you don't look like anybody else. I want your school to see you different. 
want your family to see you different, that there is such hope in you that you don't get stirred up or thrown away or, or tossed to and fro when a different election happens or an economy change happens. That there is such, such a foundation in you that you stay steadfast and immovable, abounding in faith because of what Jesus is in you, because of these promises. So we go through the foot washing. And when Jesus, we have the, the, the misfits here, right? We have these 12 young guys, an eclectic group of guys. Now, I am, I, I, I am challenging you to dissect this. I, like we used to tell our youth group, eat this book. John 13 through 21 in the next couple weeks. Maybe this week, focus on this John 13 through 17 and into the first part of 18. Uh, as we move into Lent, as we move into what, what next week is, I know Matt's going to be speaking and, and integrating in Palm Sunday, and I'm jumping a little ahead in, this, in the chronological order. But then we're going to move into the crucifixion for our midweek uh, Holy Week service. And then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate his resurrection, right? Because he rules and reigns, and he was resurrected. He rules and reigns, but he's returning. So we get here, and he's with this eclectic group of people. Let me just say, if you ever think you're unworthy, let me just say he had this group of misfits that also felt they were unworthy. Tax collectors. I mean, you name it, they were in this group, right? And Peter, he's this, he's this crazy dude. And they're at the table, and, and, and Jesus is saying, now somebody here is going to betray me. Peter's like, hey, John, beloved John, the one closest to Jesus, who's it going to be? Who is it? Because he's saying, it ain't me. I'm not going to betray Jesus. And then Jesus says, it's, it's who I give the bread to. And, and, and we move on. And, and Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Because now Jesus, his best friend, is saying, I'm going somewhere, but you can't come with me. And Peter dialogues the most. I think I probably assume Peter is the loud mouth in the room. I draw that assumption that Peter is the loudmouth, always asking the questions out loud. John's usually getting the answers in the intimate position in the bosom of Jesus, right? But Peter's this wild man. And he's like, I want to come with you. And he's like, I'll die for you. And Jesus, knowing what's going to happen, says, Peter, man, you're actually going to deny me three times before the crow calls. Peter's first being told, like, wait, you're my best, you're leaving. I'm gonna deny you. Imagine, put your put your put yourself there. Then 14 comes. Imagine the questions these guys have. Imagine just coming from Tuesday and the preaching and this teaching on the end times to now the teaching of the heart of Jesus. And he says this: He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know where I'm going. And we get into the promise of the Holy Spirit, the advocate that's gonna be there for us. We get into that, that he has to go in order for the Spirit to come in the fullness of what he's promising, that he's not gonna leave us as orphans. And then, then we get into, let's just kind of peruse through. Um, I'm gonna be at verse 14. Let's go 18. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you soon. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am, my, I am my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Skipping down a few verses, 23. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Jesus, there's these promises that he's going to make home and residence in us. That he's not going to leave us or forsake us or leave us abandoned. And, and then he, we go on and he's talking about the true vine in verse 15. I like this first. I don't have much time. I'm back in 14. I don't have much time more to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I must do the will of the Father. And what my Father requires of me, that the world will know that I love my Father. And then he's like, come on, let's be going. Come with me. So they're, now they're on this journey and Jesus is beginning to, to continue to teach and he's continued to pour out his heart about being the vine and we're the branches but God is the gardener and he's, he's, it's this beautiful portrayal of, of, of abiding and, and who does what and the roles of the kingdom really and we get these beautiful invitations and it says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends I'm in verse 13, 15, 13 there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for friends you are my friends you know you are called the friend of God the power of these words will transform your hearts forever because it's his heart for our heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. He's pouring out his heart here, saying, I would not reveal this to slaves. I only reveal it to sons, to, 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 to my beloved, to friends. And he says... Since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. Then we go into the world's hatred and the judgment. And then we go into chapter 16. And we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And then how sadness will be turned to joy. This is a beautiful thing, the promise of joy. I want to read 16, 23, and then I'll skip a few. Read a few more. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant you request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask anything in my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. It says in another way, ask anything in my name, and I'll do it. The power of Jesus' name. Do you know that when we pray and we end a prayer in Jesus' name, amen, we're praying within his authority, his ability, his nature. There's 951 titles or names of God in the Bible. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying with the authority and the seal of every one of the meanings of those names. In Jesus' name, the healer, amen. In Jesus' name, the prince of peace, amen. In Jesus' name, the deliverer, the provider, right? Amen. The I am, remember the I am? The I am, amen. The alpha, the omega, amen. Oh, man. Yes, I came from the Father, verse 28, into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, at last, you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe. Everybody say believe. This is a message for the hearts, but it's a message of belief and faith and trust. 
their best friend is revealing his heart for them. And it says, we believe that you came from God. Skipping down to verse 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now here it is. This is the greatest, most horrific hour, but the best thing that will happen to humanity is about to happen. And here's what Jesus is saying, how he's going to handle it. He says, I have told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Take heart. It's a message of heart. Then we go into chapter 17. It's the prayer. Father, the hour has come, Jesus starts with. He says, the Father, the, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Do you know that Jesus, he who knew no sin, is taking on our sin? He who didn't deserve this, the only human that ever manifested on earth, is taking on everything in the penance for you and I. He becomes our propitiation so that he faces the judge on judgment day so that all of our sins and wrongs and mistakes and issues are forgiven and done and redeemed and wiped clean. And he's saying, I have to do this, Father, for humanity. I have to do this for their hearts. I have to do this, but let me bring you glory as I do it. I can't wait for Easter and to, to talk about some of the last words. Now, Father, I'm in verse 5. Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I'm going to go to the last verse or so here, verse 24. Actually, let's start in 20. I'm in 1720. If you're working with through your phone or whatever, just, just keep up. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. We can't get wrapped up to say, well, that was the promise for the disciples. That was just for the apostles. The work of miracles and healing is only for apostles. No, here, here let me just bring you some clarity in that. I am praying not only for these disciples, but all for who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be all one, just as you and I are one, as you are, you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that you may be one as we are one, so they may be one as, you are, as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, that they can see. Now, now this is the promise for us, that we, that you, that I can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. How many want to see his glory? How many want to be in that glory? And I'm not talking the destination upon his return or my death. I'm talking about now, like this is a promise for us to walk in, to live in. And Simon Peter, so, they, so we get to chapter 18. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. This is really fun. Judas betrayed Jesus. He's bringing all the soldiers in. We have the slave that's kind of in charge, kind of a, a big deal. They capture Jesus. Jesus, they're saying, you know, Jesus is like, who are you looking for? They're like, you know, then they're accusing him. He's like, I'm he. I'm he. They all fall down. 
And then they, they start to, to kind of take Jesus or whatever, picture, just picture what might be going on, all these soldiers, right? Peter takes his sword and cuts off the dude's ear. When he said, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you, he meant it. So then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into the sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? And one, one other uh, gospel, he says, can I not call 12 legions, 77,000 angels to, to, to take me away from this situation? Come on, Peter, settle down. I told you it's coming. I got to go. And if once I go, there's a lot more coming that you're going to be thankful for, but I've got to do this. Peter, man, he's a wild man. I want to be like Peter. And I think when we start to process and dialogue a little bit about the denials, maybe we can have a little more heart for Peter. If you recall, Peter was the one that actually stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. We want to condemn Peter for falling, but you ever walked on water? But my friend Scott preached this message that even when he fell, he found the very thing he was looking for, the hand of Jesus. So they go to the priest's house, and who's the only disciple there with Jesus going to trial? Peter. Peter's the only one there. So we get to the place, and, and we get to the first denial, and, and uh, the woman asked Peter, you're not the one that the man's disciple, are you? Peter's like, no, I'm not. Then we, we skip down to around the 25th verse. They asked Peter again, are, are you the disciple? Peter's like, no. And he said he denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But the one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, I, I just want to pitch this idea to you. I, I, I don't want to... I'm not a heretic or present any false teaching, but I know that Peter was probably fearful of his life. And I know that he's worried and he's troubled and he's, he's essentially in the care of the soldiers and they're all there, right? And, and I'm sure that the main reason was out of fear of his own death, out of fear being associated with who they're about to put on trial and do the gruesome things that we know what the crucifixion is. And if you don't, don't you're, you're about to. So I get that. But I just wonder, and I begin to read if there was any dialogue, and Steve would probably have to educate me a lot more on this. But I can't help to have a heart in knowing Peter's posture, willing to die for Jesus already, proving that courage. And knowing the posture of even telling Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you. And being so stunned when he's like, somebody's going to betray you? Who is it? I can't help but to think that, was there any way that Peter may have been protecting Jesus? Maybe trying to help Jesus avoid the punishment or the accusations. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm not saying that I've arrived on that theological conclusion. But just Peter being a wild man. Or maybe was his emotions just going haywire because he was kind of a basket case anyway. I don't know. But I also can't deny the fact that all of us in this room at some point or another has probably denied Jesus in a way. Because if you read a little deeper, he wasn't denying the existence of Jesus. He was denying being a disciple of Jesus. He was denying being connected to Jesus more than he was denying the existence and the very essence of Jesus. Yesterday, I, I shared my testimony with a guy at a volleyball tournament. And uh, I had like a day to prepare, and I was at a volleyball tournament. <laughs> I'm like, all right, John 13 through 18, it is. It's where I've been. 
But I share my testimony, and I get in the car, and I tell my kids this, and tell Nicole, they're like, what were you talking to so-and-so about? I was like, I shared my testimony about Jesus redeeming me and saving me. And they begin to make fun of me. But I take it as a high honor, because Nicole began to say, how many can tell dad's story? How many could tell it? How many? And they start adding the words that I say. And every one of them are filling it in. And every one of my kids were interjecting the very thing of how I share my story and my testimony about God's goodness. You know how proud I am of that? That when I'm gone, my kids can share my story about his glory, about his goodness. I would hope that the people closest to us and those around us hear us sharing our story so much about Jesus that they can share it almost word for word. We may not be not denying the existence, and we may not be saying, nope, I don't know Jesus, but maybe we're denying him in the nuggets or the small ways of participating in that activity at work or not walking away from that joke or that, that, that inappropriate stuff or that gossip. Or Are we setting ourselves apart to say, no, I stand for Jesus? Maybe the denial isn't saying, nope, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not a believer. Maybe that's not the denial. Maybe it's the seeds of denial that when you're participating in that or not participating in that or not shining a light for Jesus in that small way, we're denying Jesus little by little by little. I hope like me, you're like, yeah, that's, that's me. I've done that. I've been a part of that. I felt myself do that at the fire department this week. Conversations started to get dark and, and gross, and I started to laugh. And eventually it clicked. I was like, I, I got to go. But I sat in probably 10 minutes longer than I should have. Now, I know that it's a stretch to say that's denial, but it's also a stretch to not say, like, man, I want to live for Jesus, and I want his last words to impact my heart in such a way, the band can come, in such a way that I live so differently from anybody else around me who doesn't know Jesus. Listen, we're not perfect. It's not about perfection or striving, right? The song we sang. It's about acceptance. It's about a gift that was freely given. We just sang about it. I'm not saying, like, I'm perfect. I'm not, listen, that's the beauty about getting me up here who's not a vocational, full-time paid pastor. You, you get a guy that's just going to shoot straight with you, and I don't care. But I'm also going to be real, and this is a place of authenticity. This is a place where you can mess up, and you can share your faults, and we're going to brush off the, the dirt and the stuff that's on you and say, come on, let, let's go from here. If you're here from Celebrate Recovery, that's, that's our heart. Our heart is that we have all walked in shoes and all walked in bondage and all walked in places that we're not proud of but God. But and suddenly we've been delivered and we're still being delivered. We're in process to becoming more like Jesus. We've not arrived. Thank God I have not arrived. Last week somebody shared something with me how I hurt them and man, I broke my heart for days. But I begin to thank God every day. Thank you for humility. Thank you for people in my life calling me out on the junk that I do. If we, let me just tell you this. If you don't create space for that, you will never grow and you will never get more humble. You need people in your life and you need to be open to the people calling out the junk in your life and being open to listen. There's some organizations that won't do a Facebook page because they don't want to know the bad things people say about them. 
I want the reality. I want people in my life speaking things into me and telling me how I've hurt them or what I've done or how I've fallen short because nothing makes me grow more dependent on God and more humble in Jesus than knowing my shortcomings. We've have to, so, so that is one. The second thing is, this is a free place for that. We are not looking for perfection and neither is Jesus. He's looking for your heart. He's saying, man, in that, in that section of 13 through 18, he's saying, man, Lord, help them not to stumble. Let their hearts not be troubled. He's talking about the hearts. Man, it captures my heart to know Jesus' heart. It captures my heart to know his heart for us, for his heart for these misfits, for his heart for all of humanity, for his heart in this instruction. And then, man, we get to that prayer in John 17. This is a beautiful moment. Let, Let me just give you some summary here. This is a message of unfailing love. This is a message of of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit coming in and demonstrating this union and inviting us in to this union. Jesus, he comes to the upper room and gives us a message and it's a message of love between him and us and it's hope for love between us and him and it's this message of love for them and one another and us and one another right and he comes in he washes feet he shares his heart and then he begins to say like I'm about to leave guys and he's about to be crucified he's about to give his life ransom for us and then he's going to be resurrected he's going to rule and reign Man, there is a promise of his return. That's good news. This isn't a sad message. This is a sad moment. This is a sad hour in history when he's crucified and the, the, the gruesomeness of how he was crucified that you could not recognize him between a man or an animal. The word says that, that he was so gruesomely beaten, so manipulated, his face was unrecognizable, there was so much blood and so much brutality that you could not even recognize or could tell that he was even a human being anymore. You ever thought that? That was the price that was paid for me. For me. This wasn't some pretty thing. This wasn't some king coming in in a palace. This was a Messiah sent to a virgin born, a virgin birth into a manger in a barn around all these animals or whatever it may have been. And then go 30 years learning identity, 30 years of walking in sonship for three years of ministry and three years of miracles and three years of pouring out after 30 years of foundation to take a death that you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. That gets me. At any one moment, he could call 77,000 angels. Four took out an army. At any moment, he could have removed himself from that cross, from that crown of thorns, from, from, from the beating, from the mocking, from being spit on, 
from the nails. I said, look at the hands, look at the feet. The nail-pierced hands. The nail-pierced feet or ankles. Hanging on a cross in this posture of love. Holding his arms out, ready for us to receive that embrace. Did you stand with me? John 17 is Jesus' desire for us. It's heaven's desire for us to come in union with Jesus, with the Father, with the Spirit, to be one and to walk as one, to walk this earth as one, and to walk into heaven. I want to enter in a glory realm to where I get to heaven, I'm not as surprised. I want to be walking so closely with the Father, I don't not recognize Him when I get to heaven. I don't know. Sometimes I think weird. Sometimes I go weird places. <sighs> this is heaven's desire, that we may see His glory, that we may be, have fellowship with Him, that we may abide in Him, that we could be His branches and He's the vine. And, and, and the Lord, the, the Father is the gardener and the vine dresser, right? Oh, man. And I'm okay with some pruning. How many in here need some pruning at times? I need pruning. I'm not perfect. If you think you have a perfect pastor, you're in the wrong place. Not. But I'm hungry. I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry for others to know Jesus. I feel that there's like an altar call moment here. We don't necessarily do a ton of these. I'm open to them. I love them. I want them. We're not going to ask our prayer team to come yet, but I feel like there's an altar call moment where, where I feel people are going to give their heart to Jesus, and maybe there's a time of repentance that maybe you've not denied his existence, but maybe there's been times where, like, like Peter, maybe you made some mistakes. Maybe, maybe you denied him in such a seed way that, that you should have stood up for Jesus, maybe shared your story, maybe done other, whatever it might be, but I feel like there's this moment that you're going to have this heart time with Jesus, and let me just say this. This, this teaching, this love story that Jesus is giving us is this promise for hope. It's this promise for his love. It's his promise for, for, to not to stumble. It's his promise to not be slaves or orphans, but he'll will be sons and daughters. It's this promise of hope and peace. And, and man, the whole section on joy. Oh, it's his promise for his spirit. And I'm just, we're gonna just open this up, man. When you feel the need, just come on up. And you want to just have a moment with Jesus, there's an invitation here right now in this moment, or if you're even online, this moment with you and Jesus to be one, to have fellowship with Him. So just come if you want.